Today I'm joined by my colleague Emily Patsy and with us is James West. He's the Senior Managing Director at Evercore ISI. James, we're very appreciative of you joining us today. I really want to start off by asking you my first question. Of course, we know how severely the historic downturn hit the North American shell industry in second quarter earnings. Firms are reporting debts. We know all that's coming in losses, filing for bankruptcy. Can you tell us about consolidation and even restructuring that you see of the U.S. shell market during the second half of the year? Sure, absolutely. And thanks again for having me uh, today. Glad to, to be with you guys. Uh, this has definitely been uh, the most severe downturn, particularly for North America, uh, that we've probably ever seen. We have rig counts you know, hitting levels that have been not seen in hundreds of years and frac counts uh, that basically went to zero during uh, during the month of probably April and, and May in, in the U.S. And so um, it's been very uh, financially difficult and distressed. We've seen a number of companies already file for bankruptcy protection. More are on the way, so we'll see more of that. And M&A has started to, to pick up. So you saw a deal announced uh, this morning with Chevron buying uh, Noble. We would expect to see more of those. I think what we're going to see, though, is a stage type of M&A process. So there'll be the restructurings first, most likely. So companies that probably can't survive, uh, that have too much debt, will go in and delever via restructuring and then likely be bought either during the bankruptcy process when the leverage is gone or be bought after the bankruptcy process. So if you're a buyer, you have a good balance sheet right now, there's no reason to take on a company that's levered that you know is going to be forced to delever through a restructuring. So you probably wait it out uh, a few more months and see how things play out. And then the M&A cycle picks up in earnest. High oil investments have been under scrutiny in recent years, heavily by investors uh, for not generating free cash flow and returns. Going forward, what will be an acceptable minimum rate of return for title investment for you know, the shell to continue? Sure, so I think uh, at minimum, you have to earn your cost of capital. So let's assume an average cost of capital of 10%. You need to earn a return that's above your cost of capital, a return on invested capital or return on capital employed above 10% at a minimum to create value. And the, this industry has proven an inability to do that particularly in title, particularly in U.S. shale. So back in 2016, we came out with the pledge for the oil industry. We came out in 2019 with the pledge for the oil field service industry. Both of these were meant to change corporate governance to drive decision-making that would lead to those higher returns. And we're slowly getting there. Um, companies are changing the way executives are paid. It's slow, but it's steady. And as that continues, we think that there'll be less focus on growth or production growth for ENPs or just growth in uh, kind of earnings uh, for oil service companies, but more of a higher returns on the capital that these companies are employing. With group crowds falling to record lows, especially after a lot of oil and gas producers and operators started to announce curtailments and shutting wells um, when oil prices or WTI fell below uh, zero dollars per barrel, um, when could U.S. oil players move back into growth mode from what, where they are now? So I think that this year uh, budgets are mostly baked, uh, so I don't really see a lot of growth this year. We'll see some uptick in activity in the third quarter. We've already bounced off the bottom in terms of uh, well completions. I wouldn't expect the rig count to do a whole lot, but the frac count probably goes up. And we may have doubled off a very low bottom already, and that'll continue throughout the third quarter. We'll probably see some budget exhaustion in the fourth quarter, but by the end of this year, we'll likely be coming much more constructive on oil prices and have a better view for 
21 and 22. And so 21, we think, starts a year of modest growth uh, in the U.S. Uh, shale market. And perhaps there's a little more in 22 as oil prices go higher. But the companies are going to have to live within cash flow because the capital markets are not open. So the only way to grow is to get an oil price higher than what we have today to drive cash flow higher. And James, do you think the latest downturn combined with Shell's, uh, Shell's rather steep decline in investor sentiment will drive some U.S. Shell players to conventional assets or, you know, perhaps other means? If, if yes, where do you see that? I, I think it will. I think that you're going to see uh, some companies look for better investments abroad to refocus their capital spending, particularly in some of the offshore developments. Uh, so if you're, let's say, let's take a Hess, for example, and you've got Guiana, which you're working on with Exxon, well, maybe more capital there because the returns are much higher than the capital you're putting in in shale. So some, some portfolio shifting. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some companies that really drove into shale and sold off some international and offshore assets go back into the international markets, uh, go back into the offshore arena. We think on the other side of this, U.S. sale is smaller. It'll be a, a smaller group of companies, smaller production than we peaked out at in the, at late last year. And then we do think that the incremental barrels that are being needed for demand growth over time will come from international markets rather than the shale market. Thanks, James. Um, as a follow-up to that, kind of, do you see Chevron still with Noble this morning? Any way of that where they, I mean, they did get assets in the Permian and DJ Base and Eagleford, but they're also getting... Uh, a position in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. Do you see that kind of as part of that turning away or just growing their assets internationally more so than Shell? I think that you know, Chevron already has a very good position uh, in Shale. It's a hundred year old position. <laughs> they quite frankly dusted off some, some uh, acreage maps and said, wait, we've got all the Shale, look at this. So we're gonna drill it. So they've got a good position in, in US Shale um, and it's been spent the legacy position for them. I think what they're really after here was probably the world-class gas assets in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, that gives them a foothold in that market. It gives them more gas exposure. Gas, as, as we all know and understand, I think, is the transition fuel for the energy transition. We have had natural gas as part of that process. And most of the major oil companies, Europeans or U.S. ones, uh, doesn't really matter, are starting to refocus their business on the gas. And they have been for almost a decade now because they see the you know, there is an end of the oil era at some point now maybe 200 years from now but at least the growth in oil demand uh, will not continue forever. Thanks James for that and now moving to the service sector local service companies have been hit hard in this downturn they, but service companies have reacted quickly so far um, with cutting expenses and layoffs and experts predict that expense savings will protect margins and cash flows. What are the necessities for the reemergence of a healthy investing environment for oil-filled service companies? Sure, absolutely. So Halliburton reported earnings this morning. They beat consensus estimates uh, and they produced 450 million in free cash flow. And that was through very aggressive cost measures and layoffs, et cetera, expense measures, as you, as you mentioned. However, of the 1.3 billion in costs that they're taking out, the majority of that is real structural change in the market. They are de-emphasizing parts of their North American uh, business. They're lowering their roof line, for example. As the industry goes digital, you need less mechanics. You need less uh, top line, less repair shops, things like that. And so they're taking th this chance here to really restructure and reimagine how the North American business looks. Internationally, it's much more of a technology-driven business, less competition. So I think Number one is let's, we got to make this, this business lean and mean in North America. We got to be 
uh, very cost efficient and very capital efficient, lower the capital intensity, which Halliburton is also doing. Um, and then we need to see some M&A amongst probably the mid-tier, mid-scale players as well. Uh, we had a lot of capital investment come into shale over the last 20 years, but this last 10 years of, of tidal oil shale, which has proven to be basically unprofitable, um, we saw a lot of companies come into chase oil. Probably not all these companies need to be there. There's some product lines that have 40 competitors. You probably need three to five to have a good market environment and a, and a healthy competitive environment and a healthy industry. And if this first, the asset rationalization happens, the, the M&A happens, returns will go up, and then you see investors coming back in. And James, can I ask you if you have any final thoughts on uh, what you believe the U.S. land market will look like on the other side of this downturn and what the path forward is from here, really? Sure. So we think the U.S. land market will be fewer companies, both service companies and EMP companies. It'll be fewer barrels, so probably 10 million barrels a day or so of production, which to support that, we're going to need a lower rig count and a lower frack spread count. So we think four to 450 rigs is probably the right amount to maintain that level of production or grow a bit. Um, that would include about 100 of their gas rigs and 350 that are oil rigs, and then probably 150 frack spreads. So to put that in perspective, we very recently had almost 900 rigs running and 300 plus uh, frack spreads running. So there's still a lot of equipment that probably never comes back into this market, at least not in the next five years or so. Well, wow, very interesting take. We really appreciate your expertise, James. Thank you for Absolutely. spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome.